I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hey, everybody, it's Raghu and David. This is a, although we've been a little bit more regular lately, it's still a bit of a throwback to when we first started out, huh? A lot of years yeah, ago. Yeah, we're a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> and then they threw us back. Oh, God, Dave, hi, how are you? Thank you very much uh, for inviting me to this event. Extravaganza. And, um, yeah, extravaganza. Yeah, and um, it's a beautiful day. For those of you who are listening to it now or soon, it's it's autumn. Thank goodness. And uh, 2018. Since you know, somebody f- ten years from now, what are they talking about? Yeah, I was trying not to date it because that's what they do on certain things. You know, they don't date things so that you oh. think it's. You know, we'll but, have them edited out. Um, that's done. <laughs> Anyway, it's great to be here, and uh, everything's good. Oh, that's good. We did, uh, David and I agreed, because uh, you were just mentioning the timing and stuff, and, you know, people want to hear stuff that's going on now, way after the fact. Uh, it's just, it just would be a bore. So I was thinking more about that, David, as I unfortunately was reading the New York Times uh, today, or uh, and uh, just, yeah, no, we can't do that. We cannot do that. We cannot talk about <laughs> that judge. No, we can't. Um, but what did come out for me was, uh, I mean, one of the most um, gigantic topics today that is actually in the process, and, and this has been going on for a couple of years, of... Uh, transforming the culture we hope at least to some degree and that's the me too movement right and uh of course then it's just coming up in every aspect uh, you know from political people to entertainers to movie moguls to spiritual teachers left and right mind you so uh it's um it's a big thing and uh but my recent interest, as I've uh, told you, David, and said, hey, you know, love to uh, just uh, 
share this with you and see what we come up with is uh, it's a different me too. It's me underlined and then it ends. There is no two. <laughs> okay. It's just me. And, and I've been talking to different people about, uh, about this and it's based on, uh, uh, today I actually saw Krishna Das on social media. He's in Mexico doing a workshop and he again went through this fantastic thing that I love and I've, I've mentioned it boringly more than five times <laughs> on different podcasts probably. Mm. And that's his, you wake up in the morning and you start the movie of me. You write the script. You're the hero of your story. So mm. how do we deal with that? And uh, so that's what I meant about a, a, diff a different me, just me, me. And uh, here's, here's something uh, I wanted to uh, share with you um, about just this subject that, from Ramdas. It's like the it's like the breath. You start off following the breath, you know, the meditation of following the breath, and then you notice you're biting your nails. <laughs> so you just put your hand down, get stop that, and just go back to following your breath. And you realize it's just your ego saying, No, think of me. Me, me. Think of me. Come on. You're too neurotic to get to God, so why bother? What are you doing? Meditating. You can't make it. It's not possible. You're screwed up. You'd better work on me first. And it will keep you sucked in for the rest of your life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a detail. Oh, my God. So that was a, a really... Uh, I love what that thing that Ram, we, I just read from Ram Dass. And uh, so that gives us the, the essence of uh, what it is that uh, we're facing on a day-to-day -day basis. But, you know, I, I want to get your take about it because one of the things that, I mean, and, and in this uh, thing that I saw Krishna was doing this workshop, and he said, so how do we stop this? How do we stop this, these habitual stories, habitual patterns that we continue to create? And karma, of course, is very much involved practice right and that that's the leverage to start but um it's so i mean just in your own experience the difficulty of these ingrained things of, of patterns and ways that we relate to ourselves the boy it's it take a huge ass psychic crowbar on some of it huh <laughs> yes yeah i think christian does is one of the most um, one of the best teachers on this because he, he, it always comes down to, you're not going to beat this by just wanting to beat it. You're not going to beat it by, um, uh, taking, a, a, you know, a psychedelic quickly. Uh, you're going to beat it by practice. And I agree with him, even though I'm always, um, quick to, to say that I'm not the great greatest practitioner, but, um, I think he's right because Ramdas says, and has said it many times that the ego is a tool that we need on this plane to navigate. But the problem is it takes over. And then you've got the issue of 
there are many issues here, there are many clashes, empowerment, enablement, uh, movements of the last century, civil rights and so forth, when people are being taught to fight for what they believe their rights are, and that's obviously a good thing. But then again, I think Ramdas is the premier teacher of our time in, in, in dislocating that and taking it apart and saying you can do it and you can do it uh, by practice and also by loving kindness. So uh, the very fact that he's saying you should obsess as I do now in my wheelchair in Maui, uh, that I was made to do 20 years ago, now I do do it. Um, I, I am love, I, 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 I'm not practicing love, I'm not, you know, I, I, you make yourself that. And if that loving kindness comes in, then the ego just moves into a back room automatically. The question is, how do you make that a practice without, um, without going crazy in that battle, you know, in the, in, which you mentioned in the opening, you know, the battle of ego. Um, for instance, you got a job and you want to raise and you go into the boss's office and you say, I, I've been here for eight years. I, I need a raise. And he says, I don't think you deserve one. And you say, I, I absolutely do. I'm great at my job. Everyone around me says I'm great at my job. I'm, 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 I take care of everything. I, 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 I. And so there you've got a real strange boundary because you have to fight for yourself to some extent in this life. We've seen that all the time. Um, but when does it become overpowering and takes away your ability to realize oneness? Um, I think some psychologists would immediately say, no, that's not a problem. You use your ego to make yourself um, an equal partner on the planet. But mm. then what seems to happen is that people then become incredibly arrogant, you know, politically for sure. Um, whereby they don't subdue their, 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 their ego because they feel like they, they can't or they'll lose. Winning and losing, particularly in this era of the, the guy that's thankfully temporarily in the White House, um, it's, a lot of people are in that place. But let's not go there. Let's say the people who are really practicing. The great thing about Ramdas and his adherents and people who work with him and so on is that they are constantly teaching people to, um, to go there and to see how much time wastage there may be in their life, um, which doesn't allow space. And, you know, in the new book, um, you know, with Mirabai uh, walking each other home, uh, they do a lot of talking about this, about this business of if you are, as it were, the Indians used to, Native Americans used to say, you know, believe that this day is the day you're going to die then the ego has to not only go in a back room, he has to leave the premises and not come back. Because if the ego is dominating, it will not believe that it's right to uh, be conscious of the impermanence of life and the immortality of love. Love destroys death, they say in that same book. Uh, fantastic uh, sort of calculation, really. You know, the, the ego does not help you deal with impermanence. And, and as soon as I realized that, God knows how many years ago, not that it changed me like that, but it, it made me understand, okay, if I keep only thinking about myself, um, 
there'll come a moment when it will be a crisis, a terrible crisis, and it may be too late. In this incarnation, then you have another one and try it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try and try and try. You know, yeah. the thing about, like, you just talked about, well, two things, basically. The need to um, have a healthy ego to get along in the world, to do the things you need to do. You need to act out, and you have to protect your family. You have to earn money, keep a roof and food. All of those kinds of things, uh, they have to happen, and that's part of the incarnation. It's just uh, that being the master and you, the servant, is not a great thing, as we all know, on that day-to-day, because that's all we do, uh, is uh, fight to be right and to win. I mean, just, you know, the level at which that's happening politically, culturally, and so on, uh, financial uh, department as well, that's just transparently, okay, these one can only say, gee, I, I feel bad how lost that person is without any realization of the potential deeper part of oneself behind all of that ego mind stuff, right? But uh, there's one... Uh, now, we have a friend named Glenn who lives in England, and he he's always... Uh, he communicates with David and I a lot. He's been like a fantastic... Uh, loyal listener of Mind Rolling, and he sends us all kinds of different things. And uh, to say, hey, I was just thinking about this, and mm-hmm. yeah, maybe you guys would be interested. Uh, so one of these things, David, which I didn't tell you about, oh. is, uh, and it addresses directly uh, the whole issue of the the doing and being one needs to keep intact. Uh, while in this incarnation. And the concept in India, in Sanskrit, is called vairagya, okay? And basically it means dispassion, detachment, uh, and in particular renunciation from the pains and pleasures in the material world. That uh, So true vairag refers to an internal state of mind rather than an external lifestyle, and can be practiced equally well by one engaged in family life and career as it can be by a renunciate. It does not mean suppression or, uh, of or developing repulsion for material objects. The application of spiritual discrimination or discernment to life experience, the aspirant gradually develops a strong attraction for the inner spiritual source of fulfillment and happiness, and limited attachments fall away naturally. Balance is maintained between the inner spiritual life and one's external life through the practice of seeing all limited entities as expressions of the one cosmic consciousness that's called Brahman. So, this is practice. And how do you practice that? It's it's obviously mindfulness and witness. Like, for instance, as you know, I have an injured dog. And it was a very traumatic experience. And she couldn't walk. Um, This is just a couple of weeks ago. And she's just starting to to walk, uh, be able to get herself walk on her rear legs and um but she's very uh 
very, very, like she's got anxiety and maybe pain, especially at night. Mm. And so I've been staying near her to help her if she needs to go out or whatever, needs water. And I noticed my, so, you know, this karma came. I was supposed to go to India and I couldn't go because my wife or I, one of us, had to stay. We couldn't just let a dog sitter be encumbered by this and, and not give the kind of attention that we would give. So I stayed, and it was like, okay, surrender. There's nothing. This is <laughs> this, nothing mm-hmm. to think about here. And it's just for me to serve this being. And then in the middle of the night, when I'm exhausted and she's <laughs> tossing and turning, and I'm like, will you please go to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> Everything gets lost in that moment. Right? It's just about me. I need my sleep. How can I get along and go to work in the morning? Whatever bullshit, the, you know, the uh, story that I'm telling myself. And then what, what can you do is there's nothing to do except awareness, right? Okay, this is happening. I don't, it, it's, it's all I can do. I can't do anymore. I, I'm, I'm obviously getting caught and I, all I can do is pick myself out of the mud and, and keep going and whatever lingering stuff again that's all we can do so awareness is a huge aspect and of course it's part of what is so well known now in the mindfulness um, movement uh, that awareness really is a way for us to to help burn off some of this bullshit of our completely sucked into me day-to-day basis and pleasure and avoiding pain and the whole nine yards. But you haven't had an experience like this uh, at all lately, I don't think. Uh, But you might have had a couple. (laughs) No, not really. But what I was going to say... No, I mean the experience more, not not with uh, an animal or a person or anything, but where your best intentions are there and you're letting go into a situation and then as soon as something, you know, untoward, in my case it was no sleep, comes up, you absolutely just knee-jerk yourself back into, screw this, I need, I, I, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I have. Um, You know, I don't, I can't recall a specific outrageous one. But I mean, you know, it's like, Meditation is in and of itself, obviously, a wondrous thing. But it's also a model or a paradigm for your daily life because what happens in meditation, as everybody knows, is that you go out off the meditation, as you were speaking about before, Raghu. You know, you, you, instead of being in the meditation, you're thinking about something else. And then you catch yourself and you come back, and, and it, you do get better at that. There's no, that's why Katie's so right. Practice is what it is. It's rehearsal, constant, constantly. You can't play the guitar great if you just stop doing it for three years. Uh, you have to rehearse and practice. So practice is actually practicing, practicing for something. So what I've found, obviously in a very minimal way, but I have found that meditation has helped me come to that return dynamic quit more quickly mm. in my daily yeah. life. That's all. I mean, I still do it. You know, I, I my birthday is March 21st, the first day of Aries. And according to all astrologers, including one of my ex-wives, uh, that means I'm the most ego uh, you know, sort of easily in the in the in the astrological world, I, I'm like number one ego. 
Aries are supposed to be egomaniacs who drive everybody crazy. And I think a long time ago, I was more like that than I am now. In other words, the, the teachings of the great masters and of, and of great friends and of family and great art, let's put them all in there, um, has somewhat reduced my ability to be blind about my own stupidities and egomanias so that I'll still do it. But then very quickly now, rather quickly, I'll go, oh, my God, I am, I am no better than, you know, the orange king. I'm no better. <laughs> I am a, I am a, I'm a narcissist. Orange Julius. <laughs> you know, I'm blind, I'm blind orange. And that here I am getting very angry about something I see on TV, uh, politics as a rule. And yet I know that um, I'm capable of, and this gets back to Jung and the shadow and how we all have this potential for for cutting out the rest of the world and, and, and totally investing in separateness. So how lucky are we all to have uh, access to books and um, life teaching and darshan and darshan after the passing of the teacher, all of these great things that are only there to help us do that. And um, I, I come across so many people in a sango, a satsang, this one or other ones, that I look at and I go, God, I wish I could be like that. Um, you know, I just wish I could be so loving. Um, at one time I was, I never had that thought. It was like, screw you, you're, you know, you're just a flabgaster, you're nothing. You're love, 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 give me a fucking break. And I was like that, I was not a hateful person, but I felt that people were hypocritical in saying, I love everyone, as Maharaji said, uh, that it's impossible. It's just impossible. How am I supposed to love, you know, Joseph Goebbels? You know, a guy that said that Jews were subhuman and we should kill all of them and did a pretty good job at that. Um, this is where I have the struggle. My particular struggle is not being, having incredible animus towards people who do not respect other human beings, who are not humanitarians or at least egalitarians. And um, so then I'm angry and you can ask the great woman I live with that there are times when I'm watching uh, cable news and I will say, blankety, blank, blank, blankety, blank, you. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you are just a hideous human being. Mm -hmm. That's a struggle for me to mm -hmm. actually say, but I love you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, I think this is a constant struggle through life, but I do think that I've learned a lot from people much wiser than myself who have said, you've got to look to yourself. I mean, you, you, you can't be constantly showing, showing to yourself how great you are and how bad they are and how righteous you would always be in every circumstance. Somebody once asked Krishna Das in a, in a, um, a workshop, yeah, but what about the Nazis? And Katie said, with a fair degree of quick certainty. I have no idea how I would have acted then. I have no idea what I would have done. Because it's very easy for us to say, I wouldn't have taken part in that. No, no, no. I'm not going to be a guard in a concentration camp. I'm not going to shoot people randomly on the street. I'm, I would never have done that. And Katie said, mm, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, he went further. I actually just read this. He said that given 
the kind of brainwashing of children and given all of the other uh, circumstances, yeah, I have, who knows what I would have been. I mean, on a whole other level, of course, (laughs) his karma, uh, he don't get to be who he is, particularly the way that he really opens a path for so many people uh, without uh, many, 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 many lifetimes of doing this kind of work. And I, I think, you know, this all boils down to there's no way that we can love everyone right now uh, because as long as we're still stuck in the me place, there is no way that that can happen. And there's no way that, you know, we talked about this dispassion and, and uh, detachment. So going in, I need a job. I mean, I need a raise because I am doing a good job. You can say that. And as long as you're not like, angry and wanting to, you know, choke the person to get what you want, you know, which is extreme. It can be something way more subtle than that. Uh, It's absolutely fine to do what you need to do in this incarnation. But we're not going to get completely uh, uh, detached and without any, and with full dispassion. We're just not immediately going to get there. We're not going to love everyone in, in, in one shot. But Slowly but inevitably, as our friend says, um, something starts to happen in a space and a gap gets created through uh, awareness, through awareness practices, through meditation practice, chant practice, whatever it is that you do, study, being with uh, a being that's way advanced along the path, any of those things. So uh, I think that that is a crucial point when we talk about what in the heck do we do? Because we wake up in the morning completely self-involved. And how do we get any leverage over that? And it, it's just, it's not something that happens instantly. That's for very sure, right? Um, yes. I, I, I mean, it's circumstantial too. Like, what are you confronted with? Uh, a few weeks ago, a, a mistake brought a large armed policeman to my door. Uh, it was a mistake, but it did happen. And it was at 10 o'clock at night. I was on my own, and there was huge knocking on the door, and I'd never experienced that in my life at that time. So uh, I wasn't sleeping, but, you know, and I went over and, and opened the door, and there were these two very large NYPD officers. And uh, after, a, and they asked me a few questions, and I answered them, and, and then I said, but there's no reason for you to be here. And um, I managed. To, I managed to keep other my... people. Can you imagine <laughs> with drums, <laughs> guns drawn, and you open the door, and David goes, "You know, there really isn't any reason on earth." That's that what I said. Be. And and um, one of the cops said, uh, "Is there is there any problem here?" I said, "No, no, not really." Um, yes, there's one problem. I'm in a bit of shock that you two guys are standing there, and they both started to laugh. And one of them leaned forward and touched me on the shoulder in a, I would say, a tender way and said, we're really sorry. Um, I can only imagine what this must have felt like. Sorry. Really? And, and yeah, and, and they, they split. And um, now I have apparently got uh, some kind of Caucasian um, skin color. And, right, um, right, right, you know, right. and, uh, or I don't have a... a two foot long beard, 
um, et cetera. So there was no built-in, um, you know, sort of reflexive uh, prejudice against yeah. this yeah. blonde old dude. Um, but nevertheless, I saw in that cop's eyes something akin to compassion. Mm. It's his job. He could have been a real, it could have been a bummer. Now, they can't come in the house without a warrant. But he could have said, you know, uh, where the smoke, there's fire. And we need to we need to investigate you or something. Nothing, nothing. They just left and never came back. And then a, a friend of mine who's a, a detective did a little investigation of why, and he found out, and it was a, a simple mistake. But um, we must never forget that uh, it's not just people who turn up at retreats and read books by Pema Chodron who are capable mm. of of overcoming. Uh, the story of me uh, on different occasions, particularly um, caregivers, nurses, doctors, and, you know, everyone, you know. People have to think uh, about other people at some point in their job, yeah. and they actually uh, yeah. they actually can uh, get leveraged out of that story of me because they have no choice. Yes, yes. I mean, and even with celebrities, you know, I once had this marvelous experience. Um, I was doing the film No Nukes, with uh, you know Springsteen and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Jackson Brown, all those people in 1979, and we edited it in 1980 in what they call the film building on 44th Street, and uh, or actually on Ninth Avenue between 44th and 45th, and I was on the 13th floor, and one night I came down at 1:30 a.m., which was showed how much work we had to do on this film, and um, I came down for the 13th, and on the ninth floor. Um, a gentleman got in who appeared to be Paul Newman, the actor. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's a film building. It is New York City. So I wasn't utterly shocked, but I, I just said hello. And he said hello. And then on the, and I, I, this is a slight lie, but let's put it this way. On the seventh, fifth, fourth, third floor, the door opened and cleaning women got it. Because that was the time they left their shift. And Mr. Newman spoke to all of them. Hello, what's your name? And then we all got out together, and it was torrential rain hmm. uh, coming down in New York City. And one of the women had an umbrella. And Paul Newman said, could you just lend me the umbrella? And I thought he was going, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> and then he proceeded to escort each woman into the street, holding an umbrella above her and getting soaked himself, and waited until a cab came so he could put them in a cab or get them to the subway station. It took him at least 20 minutes. And I was astounded by the kindness of this because I'd always been a fan of Paul Newman's. I thought he was a really quality artist and made remarkable films. And, mm. you know, but I'd never met him and never met him since. And, and he did this thing and he did it with no, nothing except humor and laughter. You know, when he finally came back to just stand in the doorway to get his own cab, he was soaked. Just sucked. I mean, listen, that's this is a great story to really uh, highlight the fact that deep inside of us, th that is our natural state. Yes, right? it is, and and of course the non-duals say say this. This is the very basis of the concept of just be who you naturally are, which is completely interconnected with 
that which is. And uh, it's just a matter of letting go of all of the stuff, stuff that we carry around with us. Now, that's a very difficult thing if you're doing it through your mind, in my opinion. But I think it's good, uh, certainly, um, I mean, I, you and I both, we love Tibetan uh, philosophy and uh, spir- the, their version of uh, reality. So I, I think it is advantageous to have that. It's part of awareness, and I think it really helps. Uh, but at the same time, uh, and it helps to know by this story that that just mirrored that reality. It's true. He did. What he didn't need anything. He, nobody was watching him. He didn't need to sh- make a show of it or anything. It was just naturally that's what he did, and and we all do that. We all naturally show up at different times. And I mm-hmm. guess, gee, if we could, if we could just um, have that in our memory banks as a, a knee jerk, uh, you know, kind of reaction to whatever's in front of us. Uh, rather than, am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to be uh, lesser than? Am I? You know, all of the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. So another uh, part of this, um, and we talked about Glenn in the, in the podcast, so we're going to continue because he actually, uh, well, one thing he did, aside from, uh, he had a couple of questions for us, Dave. Yeah, uh, I read them. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, before that, one of the other things, because he sent this thing around uh, Vairag, dispassion yeah. and detachment. He also sent a thing uh, that I'll read. I can't. I don't know if it's Ramdas. Uh, there's a yes, probably there is a need for a certain humor about your own predicament. Mm. If you take the room you're in, meaning the psychological room, too seriously, it makes it more difficult to escape. Mm-hmm. But it because it walls are made of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. A person whose heart is closed a moment later could have their heart open by seeing a little bird fly by. Mm-hmm. Somebody whose heart is wide open could suddenly have it turned icy cold when they see an expression on someone else's face. Mm-hmm. You must realize by now how momentary all of our states are, how and how little there is to cling to them and hold on to. And uh, aside from speaking of awareness as, as the absolutely necessary ingredient uh, to leverage ourselves out of that story of me, humor. If you don't have a sense, if we don't have a sense of humor about our predicament, as he talks about, uh, you know, we are pretty lost. I mean, th- th- that's got to be. Uh, I mean, there should be a whole new thing, Dave. Maybe we should invent it around um, humorous awareness, <laughs> okay? Something like that, right? We should get well, someone like Jack Cornfield onto this case and Sharon Salzberg, our, our favorite. Uh, we should get Jim Carrey, actually, because, <laughs> um, you know, he's become a very outspoken person. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's... A Buddha. Uh, I'm but, pretty sure he's not. Yeah. I mean, uh, he and, is, and, as uh, we all are, but yeah. He yeah. doesn't seem to be that. But he does um, believe that, that, you know, he believes in impermanence and, and, and compassion and so forth. Yeah. Um, 
and and he's he's done a lot of stuff around that. And I believe his new TV show, which is about a, a sort of Mr. Yeah, Rogers, Mr. Rogers guy. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't seen it. Yeah, but um, he is a humorist who takes it to the limit. You know, Dumb and Dumber and and, and Andy Kaufman, Man in the Moon film, which I recently saw again. Oh really? Yeah, um, on on Netflix or something. And Andy Kaufman was a very bizarre human being, but was also a bit of a, a, a sort of a, a disruptor of the ego because he appeared to have no discernible ego and was quite prepared to make a fool of himself to as many people as possible to make a point. And um, Carrie did him perfect. I, I knew Andy Kaufman. So when I, when I saw the film, I was very skeptical whether he could get close to that. Hmm. Uh, and he was ah, remarkably close to it. I mean, just un eerie, creepy, in fact. And then I read an article about it recently that said that he was like that all the time during the film. In this sort of uh, Stanislavski manner, he was, he was Andy Kaufman when he was sitting behind the cameras watching other actors. He never stopped being him. It was the only way he could retain that weird persona that, mm. that Andy had. Uh, I agree with you about humor because, I mean, keep harping on Ram Dass, but how can you not? Um, he was one of the funniest people ever. I mean, his lectures from, oh, I don't know, the 70s through the 90s, really, um, were hysterical. The audience was not sitting there like, ooh, ooh, yes, yes, yes. it was, you were just on, the, on, your, on your back sometimes. He was so incredibly funny. And the humor was usually based upon self-deception, his own self-deception that by talking to us about the various traps that he would fall into, uh, which were, you know, he would openly talk to us about, uh, he began to uh, sort of unearth our own sense of that. Because hmm. there's this great, great, great intellectual, this great spiritual teacher, this great narrator, this great speaker, could tell us that he was a flawed being even after he, he met Maharaji, uh, it helped. And his humor was remarkable. It, it just really was. I mean, and people should check on the earlier lectures if they can and, and see how, how damn funny he was and how you, when you left a, a Ramdas lecture, yes, you were enlightened about all things from Buddhism to, to uh, you know, back to yoga, to everything. But most of all, you were kind of energized by the by the the, the truth you'd seen through his own self-deprecation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah, which is what comedians do, by the way. But to do it on a level that he was doing it mm. uh, was something else. Yeah. That's why Robin Williams liked Ramdas, I think, and probably yeah. vice versa. Yeah. You know. So okay. next, Roger, what's next? <laughs> well, no, I just I'm still talking about Glenn. <laughs> Oh, Glenn, Glenn, and then, yeah. We're, yeah Glenn. And Glenn had a couple of questions. So now the... the, the uh, Sorry, Glenn. I went off on a tangent. Yeah. The show yeah. now goes into... It's Dear Abby, Dear <laughs> David Raghu. Um, not really. Yeah. But um, So here's what he talks about. Uh, he, he wants to hear something about um, perseverance, stoicism. I don't think stoicism is a good word myself because it, it implies like... Uh, beyond the beyond, I can do this. You know, it's a little tough, but perseverance is good. Um, the fortitude to keep on keeping on when your last high, spiritual high, seems like a distant memory. 
mm. or like it happened to somebody else and not you. Patience and subtle change are not easy selves. You okay there? Yes, yes. Sorry. Not sexy and not cool. But, uh, you know, that's what's in front of us uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, do you want to, uh, you take a crack at it. And, uh, well, you know, I think I'm just beginning to learn about that. Oh, yeah, because uh, yeah, I, I think for much of my life I was very impatient. And if something didn't just sort of grab me, um, particularly in the art realm, music, films, theater, literature, sculpture, painting, uh, I would just say, well, yeah, to hell with that. I'm not, I'm not wasting my time with that. And I guess sometimes I was right. But um, perseverance wasn't my number one quality. So, you know, I began to notice that some time ago and see that it was hurting me. Uh, that I wasn't able to focus enough on any level, not just on the spiritual level, in fact, hardly on the spiritual level, but just on the question of application to things that were important. Um, And I mean, you know, I was not a neglectful father or anything, but I think I sacrificed some of my relationship with my children, uh, my two daughters, uh, because of an obsession with making movies and and blah, blah, blah. And... um, it was perseverance that, that changed me uh, by, you know, learning from other people, uh, seeing other people's perseverance, seeing their, wow, they, they, they're not going to give up on this, are they? Whereas I would have, you know. Uh, and in the realm of, of, of work, uh, you know, it's very important. You know, they say that it's a you know, mixture of perseverance and perspiration. And certainly... I've had moments when in making a, a, some kind of thing, film usually, I suppose, um, I would be like, oh, screw this. This is not going anywhere. This is awful. Now, sometimes that works. And then you restart and you read. But you have to be persevering even to get rid of something. You know, even to say this isn't working. Uh, but sometimes it's not. It is working. You're not working. Uh, the, the object that you're making or whatever aspiration you have that you're trying to fulfill is is pure but you yourself are, are impatient and the, and the story of me comes back and says i want to you know i, I want to go out and, and 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 walk in the woods or i want to do this or i want to do that i'm not going to do this job now sometimes it's okay perseverance is it's just like practice um it is practice because, I mean, you know, meditating all the time is not easy, except for people who are just love that above everything else. Lucky dogs is what I say. Lucky dogs. For me, I, you know, meditation is, is I, I forced myself to do it. And when now you, I do it. Wait a minute. You told me you were meditating all the time when you had that um, wrist injury earlier. Absolutely. But that was just recently. But, I mean, yes, I was meditating. You know, I, I meditate every day. But, I mean... Yeah, so don't you put know. yourself down. You're actually one of the uh, most uh, practiced meditators Because around. I've been doing it since 1967. <laughs> you know, it took me 50... I mean, half a century, almost, to get to the point where I realized that this was more necessary... Than, than other actions and, and taking of space in this incarnation. You know, like, um, oh, I've got to see that film, or I've got to read that book, or I've got to get that device, and I've got to get it. Now, I'm still like that. 
I mean, I went and got this new iPhone as quickly as I could possibly get it, <laughs> just like just like all the other, you know, lame brains who were standing outside 59th and 5th on, in, in Manhattan to get the new iPhone. You know, I almost became one of them. And uh, so, it, it, again, it gets back to the beginning of this, Glenn. Glenn, um, you know, that the return is what I call it, and it's what Sharon Salzberg calls it too, I think, that the point of practice be it buddhist practice or or devotional yoga or others many others um the purpose is to is to as ragu said as you said earlier is to hone awareness so that you stop doing what is self-destructive and maybe destructive to the planet and others more quickly more quickly than you did before yeah more quickly. to say you've stopped it entirely is as you've said before it's it's it, that is just uh, you know hubris because you're saying, oh, I've done it, which, you know, in the 60s and 70s, that happened a lot to me. You know, I'd, I'd take acid and, 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 and realize something about death and life and, and humanity and all of that and think, okay, that's taken care of. I'm done. I'm enlightened. This is cool. And then, you know, probably within 20 minutes of the, of the, of the acid wearing off, I was yelling at someone. So, well, that's doing, that is really putting myself in. I rarely yell at people. But something which proved that it had not seeped into the veins. To get back to Glenn's question, though, about how do you, it, it's an indirect thing, isn't it, Glenn? I mean, you know, you meditate, you meditate, you study, you study. Uh, you try to be altruistic. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. It doesn't mean that you can't get depressed at times. To say that you don't get depressed is a great disservice to people who do, you know, because we all, I think, with the exception of great masters, have periods when there's an emptiness, and it is not cognizant emptiness. It is emptiness. It's nihilistic emptiness. It's nihilism, exactly. Mm. And the more you practice, and I don't want to sound self-righteous because I really don't think that I'm in Division One about this, but uh, I've learned it. And the closer you get to your passing, um, and, and you know, it's ridiculous to think that you're not getting closer because we all are getting closer all the time. But I see in, in, in finite earth terms, numbers, you know, people say all the time, oh, don't give me numbers. Numbers don't mean anything. I disagree with that. I think that, you know, it seems that people around my age frequently die. <laughs> I mean, I would have to be blind and stupid not to have noticed that mm. and so does that make a difference yes it does when i was watching one of the hearings yesterday a couple of days ago the hearings about the supreme court i won't go into further than that because it'll date this and be boring to people but you know i suddenly and i really mean this in the middle of one of them when i was uh, there was a sort of a boiling resentment going on about some of the stuff that was happening on, on my tv screen i suddenly saw death in front of me, literally, not a person, but just a space, a certain kind of space. Mm. And it said to me, calm down, babe, you're going to die soon. What is this going to mean then? Are you really going to be thinking about Lindsey Graham in your last five seconds? You better not be. <laughs> try not to. I'm try really not to. Try not to. You know, and, and, and so again, you know, it's, it's that thing of, of practice is actually practice. And, and it isn't a word that is differentiated from, the, there are two words, practice and practice. Practice means following your teachings, 
as regularly as possible, but it also means practicing for the bigger space that you eventually are going to go to, or even not the bigger, the deeper space. And if you haven't practiced, as Krishnadas has said many times, and great Buddhist teachers have said this too, and it's frightening what they say. They say, oh, you know, don't try and catch up in the last 20 minutes. Don't think you're going to learn how to deal with this in the last 20 minutes when the doctor says you've got 20 minutes left. Yeah, right. It's better if you don't do that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you my take. Okay, that was a rather long and unnecessary ramble, but uh, hey. that's okay. Um, so, and this is something that's uh, developed over years, having to do both with perseverance and with um, fortitude, and also um, the gap between experiences. I mean, actually, I'm not even going to address that too much because the reality is, uh, at some point, okay, it's. it's you do get to the place where you have awareness. It's it's another experience, and it's great, and uh, and it's just slowly those spiritual experiences, whatever they may be, they do integrate, and uh, so it's not a matter of time and space. I had that happened to me ten years ago, mm-hmm. and you're also we tend to belittle any small, even um, just mind moment experience just can be a flash like uh, in one of those things you look up and a bird is going by and suddenly you've dropped your story and you're just with nature in that moment so uh, I'll ignore that so but for me the minute that I saw Neem Karoli Baba the first time you know a bunch of different things flashed through you know if you hear it from everybody the home oh my god just home and oh wait I've known you forever, blah, blah, all those kinds of instantaneous things. One of the other thoughts that I had was thoughts, feeling, whatever. I'm finished. That's it. Done. There's nothing to do. I'll just have to wait out the karma. Now, it was an interesting thought because it was a true thought. But I wasn't living that. I uh, experientially, of course, as karma kept uh, pushing its little face up, mm-hmm. and things happened, I would suffering would in, ensue, and so on. So it wasn't like, oh, wait a minute, I thought I was finished, but uh, you know. So, but one thing, as time went along, I totally realized that I have no chance because I have no perseverance. I have no steadfastness. I have no fortitude. I have no stoicism. (laughs) (laughs) I have zero except one thing, and that's holding on to that blanket that was around that Baba, that is around that Baba, and holding on. uh, And the way that I hold on, he gave us that way, which is exemplified by Krishnas, and that's chanting the name. And that's all I, I know. I don't know anything else but that. And um, and that is uh, that chanting is is the grip on the blanket. It's what I'm. It's the uh, my only understanding of uh, 
this very deep subject of karma and grace being one, and we cannot understand that because it's not able to, and, and mind cannot understand that. Mm-hmm. Mind cannot understand Maharaji saying it's all perfect, which includes, you know, everything, mm. everything, the horror and the beauty. Mind cannot understand that. So I'm living in the two until the universe, through the guru, decides to change that <laughs> substantially. And and as I've gone along all, all through these years, I've understood that that is very much what I have that represents perseverance, fortitude, uh, and um, a way to ignite myself every day to keep trying, as simple as that. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, so Glenn, there you go. You got two different points of view, both full of wisdom from dear Abby David and Raghu, okay? Uh, dear Abby Hoffman, David. Um. Abby Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right, well, I'm going to look, because this is a whole new series for us. People, you can write in like Glenn has. I mean, we did. I did tell Glenn that uh, David and I were going to do a podcast, and mm. but go ahead and, yeah, whatever you thought would be cool for us to talk about. We'll do that for anybody. So uh, write in and you can write i don't know where you write info at be here now net or go, info at ramdas.org i actually see those things okay mm-hmm. so you can do that or you can just go through be here now network mind rolling god knows um he, he asked something else you know yeah what he asked about the 60s and 70s being of a certain oh gestalt, yeah you know and uh, that gestalt was very overpowering to many of us uh, some people just went right by them and didn't care, but I was a part of it. And um, what was it like, you know, to suddenly find yourself in the eighties, nineties, and beyond when uh, people were not massing like a Woodstock? They were not uh, finding out about Hare Krishna that something had gone. And how do you deal with that? I, I don't know how I deal with that. Day to day, you do it. One thing I don't think is healthy is nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was I was watching TV this morning, and particularly for one reason, because there was one of these infomercials about Time Life um, Hall of Fame, Rock, rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, you know, it, it's it's got a lot of performances in it by people like Springsteen and U2 and Heart and Bonnie Raitt and Crosby, Stills and so on, and I thought I'd watch it, you know. And I watched it for about 10 minutes. And then I noticed my hand moving towards the remote as if I was standing beside my body and just turning it off. Mm. And the reason was that I have virtually no interest in, in listening to that music anymore. And it's not just because I'm old and, and gray. It's just that I don't love nostalgia. It, it, it doesn't work for me. It depresses me. I, and, you know, and, the, the the idea of be there then or be there then now is yeah. rubbish. Just be there rubbish. Then now. You know, it's nice. I mean, you know, I, I might listen to, you know, um, something in a new box set of John Lennon or Springsteen or somebody and hear some version. I mean, I have this Dylan thing, which has got like 9,000 versions of, of just like a woman or something. 
and I like it and I listen to it occasionally. But you know something, it, it doesn't help to look back on the 60s and say they're any better or worse than any other time. Because in fact, it was just a huge commixture of consciousness, of personas, of ego battles, of all kinds of things, as well as a kind of revolution of awareness that precipitated what I now see in people in their 20s who weren't even born in the 80s who are thriving on something maybe even more advanced, evolved. That is really, really thinking about the planet that we're gifted with and how to continue that planet and how to make people's lives better and to not murder animals and murder entire uh, the Amazon, you know, um, people are more, much more concerned and focused about this than we were in the 60s. Yeah, absolutely. We were so me, me, forget yeah, about it yeah. then, you know, and, and yeah. there were the people, uh, I mean, it was about, okay, we're on the spiritual path. We don't give a flying fuck about anything else. I mean, mm -hmm. I got gassed, in, you know, plus I was into psychedelics and so on. This is how me too, uh, I've told you this story actually, Dave. I, I was in uh, Berkeley when the uh, riots happened in the late 60s, probably 68, 9 something. And, and my friend and I are driving on the side street leaving Berkeley. And suddenly we looked at each other and went, geez, are, are you getting high? Yeah, I, I feel, but we haven't done anything. How can we be getting high? It's cool though. It was tear gas that was floating down from, uh, yeah, from the you know, where Telegraph the Bank of Avenue. America was being broken into on Telegraph Avenue. It's amazing we didn't okay. bump into each other because I had exactly the same experience. I flew out there <laughs> yeah. just for the People's Park. Oh, now. really? Okay. But I'd never experienced tear gas before, and it freaked the fuck out. Yeah, no, and yeah. You know, oh so this is like Cheech and Chong, who had no relationship with anything but their own noses and getting high and 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 doing spiritual stuff okay <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, glenn that's was the 60s all right I, we had a good time though no and, it was great and i mean you no know, it was great the music was great and there's no question about it and i'm not sure music has quite reached those peaks except in certain you know sort of isolated instances it there were there weren't sweeps of amazing music like how many you know it was great I mean, I loved, you know, British rock and roll. I was British, but I also loved Sly and the Family Stone. I loved Otis Redding. I loved maybe Staples. I loved, you know, Tina Turner. I, there was so much going on and it was so vibrant and it wasn't all about, you know, romantic love. Some of it was about the planet. Some of it was about universal love. It was advanced, even the Beach Boys. I mean, if you listen to Pet Sounds, you'd, find, you'd hard put to find a more evolved way of looking at the world through music. And I, I believe that was in the 60s, right, Ryan? Mm -hmm. Late 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Revolver, or, you know, um, uh, Johnny Mitchell's best work. I mean, this was transcendental stuff, a lot of it. Yeah, and that shit was way better back than now. I think so. <laughs> uh, but you've got Danny to Goldberg careful. would say, you're out of your mind. No, Danny, no, Danny I, I think, <laughs> I don't know. but you To know, this generation, there are the same, you know, Dylan, well, I don't know, saying Dylan, that's too far. Joni Mitchell, you yeah. know, there's, uh, we have today our, I mean, there is great, we could go on and on about that, but yeah, you know I mean, what? You can, you can talk both ways about this. I mean, you can say, well, what the hell do you Kendrick know? Kendrick Lamar you know? is that, by the way, 
watch uh, uh, the um, Quincy Jones uh, spe- uh, doc. It's really uh-huh. great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine Quincy was involved with from Sinatra to Michael Jackson and, yes. and, and all of these incredible jazz greats? What a... Uh, I shall see. I, I yeah. recently, I, you know, I read an article, an interview with him, when he was extremely nasty and horrible. Oh, really? Good. And I, I, I got. He wasn't of, portrayed like that in this. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> but his daughter did it, so that might have to be a reason. Um, any, anyhow, um, yeah. So back no, it was to, rich. It was a rich time yeah. for music and for other things. But now maybe it's a rich time for novels. Well, I don't know. No, it's you know, a rich, you know what it's a rich time for? It's a rich time for this next generation that is actually doing something yeah. to uh, counter what's going on uh, with, most especially with the environment, with the uh, the uh, polarization. That's a difficult thing with for everyone, as we've described earlier in this thing of David's uh, throwing shit at his television when he watches the news. Um, I won't even say what I have done, so I... <laughs> And I mean, but, the yoga movement, which isn't really a movement, but it is, it, it, it's a conglomeration of various souls who come together. But I mean, uh, I don't know whether you've seen on, on online this incredibly funny piece about what if Gandhi uh, yeah, yeah. was going to go to a yoga group in <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah, and, um, you know, what it does is it says that there's something, you know, that there's an aspect of that world, which is a superficialized version but th- but that doesn't matter that's just that's just human but uh in my opinion at any rate you know when i think back uh yoga was not really part of the 60s except in a very minor kind of way and and now it is a major part a major part of of, of particularly young yeah. people's lives and awareness you know and, and even and that's be- great isn't it I yeah mean, that's, yeah even better is what's come out through these studios around chanting. So many people learning how to uh, do real kirtan, chanting the uh, the names of uh, of God, and and of course doing it and mixing it with Western stuff, which you know, it makes uh, makes it a little easier to digest, as Krishna says. Um, I mean, Glenn's, Glenn's question, Raga, was really how do you get, uh, what did it feel like to lose that particular zeitgeist? And uh, it, that's what it was. It was a particular kind of thing at that time. You know, Timothy Leary and, and, and the Chicago 7 and all of that, plus the music, plus, the, you know, Bhaktivedanta coming here and, and Muktananda and all that. But, you know, if you stick to the Be Here Now premise, um, it, it, there is no loss on that score because you're living, you're an organic being that's living. And that kind of generalization about a zeitgeist is, it's interesting intellectually, but does it really relate to one's own personal growth? Yes, it does if it helps you, but if it, if it doesn't, you move on and you, and you move on every day. I mean, isn't it true that every day you wake up and you, you wonder sometimes, Oh my God, you know, I'm still alive. That's amazing. And then number two, how, how am I going to deal with this day? And, 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 it, it, it's it's a daily thing, and through the teachings of various masters, I mean, Ramdas distilled it for us in terms of saying that presence, real presence, would allow us to understand the miracle of existence, not even love, but just existence. It could all be universe of, of, of uh, the world could be full of very small microbes milling around 
in a, a, a soup of, of ocean and marshes, and it could never have changed from that. It could have just been microbial beings and at best salamanders. <laughs> Instead of which we have Rudolf Nureyev in 1925, and we have Stephen Hawking, and we have, you know, I mean, we have barbers of the most amazing kind. So presence, or uh, this isn't really the right word, prescience of presence, awoke awareness is what we have every day. Awoke awareness a, is, the, yeah. is our thing. It's our, yeah, our mind-rolling thing. I have a fantastic T-shirt, by the way, that we've developed from awoke awareness. And you, oh, you yeah. will, I forgot to show it to you. Yeah, it's going to come out soon. And you'll, you're going to get uh, one. <laughs> okay thanks a lot thanks a lot maybe it'll lose uh, me up all right um, well listen I um, we're going to close here and we're going to close with um, at least some kind of advisal relative to this whole movie of me thing that we've been talking about and uh, and some of what Glenn's been asked us about and um, as a discussion point around you know keep on trucking how the hell do we keep on trucking really uh in this very difficult uh environment and i i guess and this is uh, since we've been talking ramdas non-stop uh, mm-hmm. by the way you can listen to ramdas podcast that i do on ramdas here and now on the be here now network by the way and you can go to ramdas.org and uh, sign up there and you'll get uh, and there's an app a Ramdas app we got it all going on on the Ramdas side uh, so someone said okay what what do you do what is your what rule do you live by uh, rule book not rule rule book in other words you know what's your playbook for navigating this incarnation mm. And he says, really, it's simple. I continually work to quiet my mind. So everything we talked about, awareness and mindfulness and meditation. To stay mindful, I continue to work to soften my heart, to stay heartfelt. So for me, that's why chant thing is so important because that works right on to that heart chakra to open it. I work as well as I can to keep the energies moving in my system, yoga, possibly. I mean, this is energy. I am constantly opening and watching and listening and tuning. I am listening my way into the universe. Hmm. That's simple. That's all we got, right? Absolutely. I mean, that rule book is... uh, you know that's that's all there is and and for me you know who uh, whatever we can do to realize that we are being taken care of by that guru that lives inside us and it doesn't matter who it is neem karoli baba is uh, what we know shirdi sai baba is what we know uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, he comes in many, he and he or she comes in many different forms and you realize that you really are being taken care of. It just isn't fun all the time. Right. 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 Yeah. So, yes. Thank you. 
my friend, Mera Dost in Hindi, my friend. Mm-hmm. That's what I call, you know, the Baba that with our jungle Baba. He's he's like young, so I'm sitting with him. He'll go to me and my wife Saraswati sitting there. She says to her, "You're my mom," and <laughs> and he says to me, "You're my father." And I go, "I'm not your father." I mean, I don't want to be like, I'm not a grandfather to my grandchildren either. They call me Raghu. Okay, that's how sick I am. No, but I tell him, you know, this being (laughs) from outer space, I'm not your, I say, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. And that's true too. A spiritual friend is highly important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, thank you. I I love doing this. uh, Yeah, I know. I mean, this is. Let's do it again before we get old. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is Mind Rolling, David Silver, Raghu Marcus on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. I mean, there must have been stuff we were talking about. Uh, they'll put up some links to books or whatever else we might. And like even esoteric stuff like David mentioned, he did no nukes uh, with uh, Springsteen and others. We're going to find a link so you can actually yeah. watch that because it's yeah, it's, act, nice. it's very good film okay when it's, we talk about yeah. talks yeah it was, it was so, it, just as an afterthought it's just typical isn't it that i look at it now and i think oh wow that was great it was a bloody nightmare to make it <laughs> and it just was uh, for all yeah. kinds of reasons but then again sometimes you have to do things that are not that easy you know i'm and and as a postscript to that which is far more important I was thinking, you know, I've been reading this wonderful, amazing book. Um, this book. Ah, Walking Each um, Other Home. Yes. Uh, and by Ram Dass and Mirabai sort of constructed it as part of a conversation with him. It's incredible. And it struck me when I was reading it last night that this gentleman had a stroke and has lived with it for 20 years and has realized maybe, according to him, not to me, uh, a closeness to the oneness, to that absorption, that true absorption through his own suffering and not being able to fly a plane or play golf or talk to people and make them laugh. And that is a gift to us. Mm-hmm. So we're gifted by someone else's deep physical suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it just blew me away when I started thinking about it last night. I just mm-hmm. thought, oh my God, oh my God. He's, he's talking in this book, still talking incredibly effectively about, you know, Love conquers death. Love conquers death. And if we can cultivate uh, this oneness and this altruism, but altruism doesn't cover it. It's too dry a word. If we can find his loving awareness and his loving kindness, as he puts it, and as many teachers have put it before him, uh, we stand a chance, don't we? Yeah. So I thank you, Ramdas. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. We shall see you next week on Mind Rolling.